This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number 16, Brandy Chastain. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Jim talks with World Cup and Olympic champion soccer player Brandy Chastain. Well, I learned a valuable life life lesson from my grandfather. Uh, We were very, very close. He came to all my games. Um, It didn't matter if it was, you know, here in the Bay Area or across the country or anywhere. He would be there. And when I was very, very little, um, he he would give me two scoop. He would give me one scoop of ice cream for a goal I scored. So Mm. that was exciting. But he gave me two scoops of ice cream if I had an assist. And right. to this day, I value the the importance of the giving, you know, versus the receiving and how helping somebody else achieve something like scoring a goal feels so good. And I, I probably developed um, a greater appreciation and love of making an assist than scoring a goal as my career went on. Brandy talks to Jim about how athletes deal with transition, bouncing back from injury, truly inspiring coaching, and her favorite memories from the U.S. national team and in this year's Women's World Cup. Uh, Brandy, I want to start off by introducing you to our audience. Brandy Chastain attended Archbishop Mini High School in San Jose, California, where she led the team to three section championships. She went on to play college soccer at Cal Berkeley, where she was named Soccer America Freshman Player of the Year. She transferred to Santa Clara University, where they reached the Final Four each of her two seasons and was twice named All-American. She played on the U.S. national team from 1988 to 2004, making 192 appearances. Uh, Her team won two World Cups and two gold medals, and I think we all remember the iconic moment of her celebration of the World Cup victory over China in 1998 that eventually led to your book title, It's Not About the Bra. Brandy has also played professionally in Japan and the United States. She recently returned from commenting for ESPN on the 2011 Women's World Cup in Germany and has served as a color commentator for NBC Sports. In addition to her broadcasting, she is a volunteer assistant coach with the Santa Clara University women's soccer team and an active volunteer for the Bay Area Women's Sports Initiative. Brandy currently lives in San Jose with her husband and two sons. Brandy, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. You know, you're, you're, you're reminding me of all those things. I have, I have probably forgotten about some of those. <laughs> um, that's what Wikipedia is for, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, you're just, just back from covering the Women's World Cup in Germany for ESPN. Um, can you think back on that and let us know what you'll most remember from this tournament? Uh, I think the greatest, the greatest thing about this 2011 Women's World Cup is the the amount of parity and that every game from group play through the quarterfinals, semifinals, and the finals were all exciting games. There were no real uh, blowouts, even for first-timers, Colombia and Equ- Equatorial Guinea. 
They all played very well, had talented players. I think surprised some some teams and, and gained some fans. And uh, overall, from top to bottom, just a great tournament. You know, I, I watched, of course, as a fan of the U.S. team, um, and they played fantastically. I have to say, I I, um, I didn't feel too badly when Japan won, given the great game both teams played and just what's happened in Japan, um, you know, over the last uh, last year or so. Did you have what kind of reaction do you have to Japan beating the U.S.? Well, I think the world across. I think everybody across the globe would probably agree with you that the sentimental favorite for the tournament was clearly Japan. I mean, you know, I think sports. Um, carries this wonderful spiritual um, component where, you know, yes, we are competitive and yes, we want to win, but um, the idea that a nation truly needed the uplifting moment of Japan winning the cup, I think, kind of superseded all of everybody else's personal desires to win. Uh, And though, you know, as a U.S. soccer player, I don't think you can kind of extract yourself from that ever uh, once you've worn that jersey or, you know, you live in a country and you're patriotic, you know, you want the U.S. to win. But I think in terms of the overall tournament, I I, I feel Japan actually played better from the beginning to the end and therefore ultimately deserved the the, the championship. Yeah. Um, You were Soccer America's Freshman Player of the Year at Cal uh, as a forward. Um, and then you made a transition to defense. Uh, can you tell us about your transition to defense and what young players can learn from this? Well, you know, it, was a, it wasn't by choice. I will say that first and foremost. You know, I felt, you know, my number one position was being a goal scorer, and that's what I had done my whole life. But uh, after being on the national team and, and for the 91 World Cup, and then getting cut by Anson Dorrance after that World Cup and not being on the team in 95, uh, you know, I had called Tony DiCicco uh, a couple times to ask him or to let him know that I was still available, that I was interested in playing on the national team and they get a, a chance because he took over for Anson just before the 95 World Cup. And he was very happy with his team at the time. Uh, but things changed after 95 when they didn't win uh, that title and they took home third place. And so he invited me into a camp, and my idea was to go in and be the best goal scorer and, you know, to make my mark. Uh, and after the, after the, after the uh, uh, training, training camp was over, uh, Tony called me in for my individual meeting, and he said, we're very happy with the way you played, and my heart was soaring, and my blood was pumping, and I was so excited. He says, but we don't see you as a forward on this team. And then my heart sank. He said, we, we want you to play in the defense. And I, I probably, my chin probably dropped to the floor and looked at him as if I didn't understand the words in English. And, and then in those few seconds, um, I realized that this was exactly what I wanted. I wanted a chance to be on the national team. And though it wasn't in the position I thought that I would be playing, it was a chance nonetheless. And so I guess... Ultimately, what I thought, I, I, my next thought was, if I can't play well between the captain of the national team and Carla Overbeck and Christine Lilly, the player who's played more games than any other player, men's or women's, internationally, then I probably don't deserve to be there. So why not give it a try? 
And the message that I share with young kids is, you know, soccer is, when we talk about positions, it might be one of the few sports where when you talk about positions, those positions have a tendency to morph and change as the game goes. It's only where you start before the whistle's blown. So you have to know what it's like to be a defender. You have to know what it's like to be a playmaker. You have to know what it's like to be a goal scorer because all those chances are going to happen in one 90-minute game. So you have to be open and flexible. And it actually taught me a lot about the kind of player I wanted to be and the player I ended up becoming. Having been on offense for so long, did that, did that make you a better defensive player? I think what it did is it enhanced my ability to read the situation and anticipate as opposed to react. So I, I knew as the play was developing what would the tendencies of a forward be. And therefore, I think that aided me in being a, a better defender. Yeah, also thinking about after your freshman season, you had surgery on both your knees, kept you out for a couple seasons. And I know when, when youth athletes have injuries, it's a really tough time for them. How did you get through that time? And what kind of advice might you have for for high school or youth athletes when they are injured? Oh, there's so many things, Jim, really. Uh, I think most importantly is that you, you dedicate yourself to the process of, of getting better. Uh, eventually you will over time. I mean, I think time gives that to everybody who's been injured. But if you really want to maximize the time in re- rehabilitation, whether that's with a therapist or on your own, you know, you have to really be um, focused on the details. And I think that was something that really wasn't present in my soccer game before. You know, soccer came very naturally to me, and, you know, I wasn't detail-oriented until I got injured. Then I realized, oh, my gosh, all these little small things like weight training or physical fitness, um, how to strike a ball, how to be on balance, you know, all these things that happen in soccer on a regular basis became really, really apparent to me. So the first thing I tell young kids is, you know, you have to be dedicated to taking care of uh, getting better. And, that's not up to your parents. That's not up to the doctors. It's not up to the therapist. It's about it's up to you. And the great thing about that is that's quite empowering. And when you get when you know that you have your hands on this, and you're gonna you're you're gonna you're gonna take care of this. Um, that you know that gives you kind of this uplift up, uplifting feeling. I, I love what you said about <clears throat> dedicating yourself to the process. Uh, the process of recovery, but it seems like the, dedicating yourself to the process of getting better in whatever you do, soccer or whatever your profession is. Yeah, and you know, I think that's one of the greatest things I've learned. You know, nobody wants to have to, to miss. I missed two and a half years of collegiate soccer, really, um, trying to get back to be healthy, fully healthy, even though I played during part of it. Um, you know, there's, there is, there is a, there's an obvious portion of that, that that transcends the lines of soccer and that makes, uh, makes sense in the rest of my life. So, you know, whatever it is, you have to be focused on the little things to make sure that, that you know, that you take care of them. And, um, and when you do, you, you get the reward. Yeah. You know, you, you played for a lot of different coaches throughout your career. Uh, can you talk about some of the best coaches you had and what made them so good? Well, I didn't have too many coaches, but I, I had first and foremost was my dad. And, you know, bless him, he was dedicated to girls who 
you know, were of all sizes, shapes, abilities, interests, um, desire. And he did it from the time I was eight until I was about 16. And then, then I had a, a, a high school coach, which um, I think taught me a lot about um, being dedicated uh, and, again, little details. And, and I have to say, and I would, you know, I would say this to her, you know, we didn't always get along or see eye to eye, but, you know, in hindsight now, I look back and think, you know what, I, I did get a lot out of the time that we spent together, and I think that was, um, you know, that was being able to mature and see the situation clearly. And then, I, you know, I had my husband as at the time when I came to Santa Clara, who was a coach that was so incredibly... Um, perceptive about the details of soccer and um and he 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 showed me how to turn little things in my favor and um i just i saw soccer in a total different light when i played for him and then i had the motivator and anthony dorrance who made everything a competitive battle and tony DeChico, who was a sympathetic um players coach in terms of you know, he would listen um, and take into consideration things that the players uh, were interested in. Didn't mean he always he didn't listen. I mean, he didn't follow what we said, but at least he listened, and I and I like that. And so I played for a lot of different coaches. Now you're coaching. How do you, how how would you like to be remembered by your players? Oh boy. Um. <laughs> I th- Gosh, how would I like to be, or how do I think I will be? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe both. Uh, you know, I think you know. I I feel I'm um, I, I'm a little bit like I was as a player. I'm, you know, I love being on the on the training field, and I love going to the games. But I like I, I think I love the training better, uh, because it's a place to truly grow and expand um, as a player. And then the, the you know the field is you know the game field is really kind of just where you get to kind of try all those things you've been working on. And I think as a coach on the training field, I'm very concerned about the details, about doing it right. Um, You won't always do it perfectly. Nobody's perfect and everybody makes mistakes. So I'd like to be seen as a coach who demanded the best of each player every time but knew that mistakes would be made. But what do you do from that mistake? And then just the enjoyment of, of the sport. Looking back on your 192 caps, what what will stand out in your memory most about playing for the U.S. national team? Oh, everything. I think the people. Um, you know, the games are awesome. Like I said, I loved going to the training field. I love challenging myself. And some days were clearly way more challenging than than others. Um, but the people, I think, just were tremendous. Um, Seems like you had a really special team uh, for quite a, quite a few years there. Well, we were. I, I think teams are such unique groups of people. You know, I think the the great thing about team sports, specifically team sports, is it brings a lot of individuals together with a lot of unique qualities and different backgrounds, and then it asks them to come together to obtain, you know, certain and specific objectives, and that can be difficult for. Uh, any group, uh, and then if you take a group and you're asking them, the elite of the elite to, you know, either check their ego or bring their ego out or to, you know, take a, a, a role player responsibility or a leadership responsibility, um, you know, it's, 
it's very interesting to see how those things work, when they work and when they don't work. And we were very fortunate that I think everybody bought into what we wanted to do and how we would do it together and how we could be successful, how everybody could be successful if we stayed together. So it was um, a wonderful group of people over, a, you know, quite a few, few many years. Um, you know, you're raising two sons now. Um, are, are they involved with sports? Are they old enough yet? Uh, the older one has graduated from college and he's starting law school and he does participate. He played high school soccer at Midi as well and um, and now plays soccer for fun, which for adult male, young adult males is sometimes doesn't look like fun because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're very competitive. Um, and then my five-year-old, we just play together with friends or in the backyard. He hasn't quite gotten on a team yet, but hopefully soon. How, you know, you talked about your dad as a coach. How do you think parents today can best support their kids in sports? I, you know, I, lear- I learned something from my husband on this one, uh, and I, I believe it to be very, very true. Um, you know, I, he tried not to give Cameron any advice until Cameron asked him for it. And I thought the value in that was that you were listening to what your kids had to say. And then when they asked the question, you knew they were interested in the answer because it came forward. Now, sometimes there's kids who maybe don't do a lot of communicating verbally. So, you know, maybe you ask them questions about, you know, how the training went as opposed to what the outcome or the result of the game was, Um, how the relationship they're having on the field with maybe the nearest player is going or, you know, things that kind of get to more of the, the developmental um, gr- and the growth of your, your, your son or daughter and their team versus did you win or did you lose? And, and I, I thought that was a, a very valuable lesson I learned from my husband. And, and I use it now with, you know, with our collegiate athletes. Wow, that's great. You know, we, we talk about responsible coaches who focus on, on winning, uh, also about using sports to teach life lessons. Can you think of any life lessons you learned from the coaches you had? Well, I learned a valuable life, life lesson from my grandfather. Uh, we were very, very close. He came to all my games. Um, it didn't matter if it was, you know, here in the Bay Area or across the country or anywhere. He would be there. And when I was very, very little, um, he he would give me two scoop. Or he would give me one scoop of ice cream for a goal I scored. So mm. that was exciting. But he gave me two scoops of ice cream if I had an assist. And to this day, I value the the importance of the giving, you know, versus the receiving, and how helping somebody else. Ad- achieve something like scoring a goal feels so good. And I, I probably developed um, a greater appreciation and love of making an assist than scoring a goal as my career went on. Wow. That, what, what a great, uh, great thing. Um, you know, we we and, about... and, and, and it was tasty, too, so it was a win-win situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, that's really lovely. It seems like your grandfather and your father both um, really set you on a good path. Absolutely. So we talk about honoring the game as a player, coach, or parent. Um, you know, 
kind of no matter what happens, can, is there a, a time that you remember when it might have been a challenge for you to honor the game? Oh, yes. I, I had many challenging moments. Um, and I think initially I, I attributed it to my competitive nature and my desire to want to win no matter what, whether it was playing hopscotch or or playing soccer in a game or... Um, um, in a game or, you know, in training. And so um, I remember one specific time when I was at Santa Clara University um, where um, uh, where we were playing Colorado College and we were a good team and we should have been winning the game, but we weren't winning and I was getting more and more frustrated. And I remember a girl that I actually knew and had played soccer with uh, taking the ball off me and I just chased her down and I put a, a nasty bad tackle on her and I got a yellow card and and I didn't get to and Jerry didn't put me in the for the rest of the game and um and then I had to write a letter uh I had to write a letter to the other team to, to apologize for my actions and to the coach and 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 it was a, it was a good lesson that you know, no matter how frustrated you are, no matter how much you want to win or, you know, you just, you still have to behave right and you have to have sportsmanship and you can't allow your emotions to get the best of you. You know, we, we often tell coaches that it's when things go wrong that you as a coach can have the most impact. And it seems like uh, um, that you, your coach there really had an impact because something went wrong that wouldn't have the opportunity if uh, you hadn't... Uh, and done what you did. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I think that happens a lot. You know, unfortunately, think when things go wrong, they are learning experiences. But I, but I like to also think that when things go well, you can make those things just as impactful for, for kids and make them feel that doing, having that repetitive nature is, um, is as easy as the other because it seems that we can fall back into having you know, bad behavior um, when we get frustrated. So um, I, at least I try, you know, in my coaching to um, make that apparent, you know, make that um, something that the kids think about, that they that they concern themselves with, you know, doing what they're capable of doing. And it's okay not to, you know, not to get it right all the time, but um, that we just keep our focus on what it is we're trying to achieve. You know, let me ask you about, uh, you know, broadcasting and commentating. Um, how, how do you prepare to, to do your best there, and what's the key to success in, in your broadcasting career? Well, seeing as this is the first time I, I was behind the desk, it was um, I was very nervous and excited, um, and I think as every game went on, it got better, and I think that... Um, also true of when I was a player. You know, the more repetitions you get, the more comfortable you feel, the more you feel like you're in control. Um, but we we did some media work with um, in-house, you know, breathing and sound, you know, how do you use your voice and, you know, how do you watch moments that are happening on the field and let the moment be the moment as opposed to you talking over the moment. And so you just, you know, you learn by by repetition, you know, also having someone like Bob Lee was, you know, wonderful because 
know, he's been in the broadcasting um, world for 33 years and at ESPN since it started. So, you know, that's that's a good person to learn from. So it was um, it was a lot of fun working, and we were a team. So you know, everybody had everybody's back, and uh, it was a very a very very nice group of people for a, a month of time. That sounds great. Brandy, I want to thank you for taking the time today to share uh, with our Responsible Sports listeners your thoughts and insights. I think um, a lot of parents, coaches, and athletes are going to be hearing this interview, and they're going to learn a lot from it. So I want to really thank you for for taking the time to do this. Well, it's my pleasure. I love sports, and I, I, I have learned so many incredible and valuable things about myself as a and about sports in general and about how, you know, to use the things I learn on the field in a positive way off the field. So this is my pleasure. Thank you so much, Randy. All right, you guys. You have a wonderful day. To learn more about responsible sports, including downloading valuable tools on how to help your athletes bounce back from mistakes, visit responsiblesports.com. You'll find helpful responsible sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.